Our text of emphasis today comes from the Gospel of John and chapter 10. And we're looking at verse 1 as we continue in the Easter season. We read the words of Jesus. And he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they will not, they will not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come out and go in and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider the words of Jesus, we pray for some understanding on what the kind of relationship that you're calling us into with you and with each other. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are uh, two metaphors here in this uh, story. Uh, first, the, the familiar one, the one that goes back to uh, the Old Testament and the idea that the Messiah, that Jesus was the, the good shepherd, the good shepherd, you know, a shepherd uh, is one who takes care of the sheep. Actually, I say you know, maybe you don't know that. We are in New York City. I don't know how familiar you are with, you know, sheep husbandry, uh, but I'm not very familiar. Do we have any shepherds here, former shepherds, other livestock, anyone who cares for animals of any kind other than a cat or dog? Of course not. We're in, in New York. So, th quite frankly, both of these me metaphors are a little bit lost on us. We have to spend a little time just uh, contemplate, contemplating what Jesus is getting at. So, again, this old familiar idea of Jesus being the good shepherd, a shepherd takes care of the sheep, watches over, over them, makes sure that they get good foods in the pastures, and then at night would take them to their, their place of, of asleep, their pen, and in first century Judea, this would look like some, uh, a wall of, of rocks in the hilly outcroppings of, of the, the plains there. And so we get this picture again that Jesus is giving us of himself being like a shepherd. The, the second metaphor is that uh, Jesus, he, and he articulates this very clearly, is also, according to him, the gate, the gate of the pen. So he's both the good shepherd the one who's watching out for the sheep, but he's also the gate that opens and closes to let the sheep in and out of the pen. So during the day when they're feeding, they're in the pasture lands, shepherd is there with them, and they are out in the fields eating the green grass and 
um, and drinking the water. And then at night, when there are things that are uh, going to endanger them, the shepherd takes them in and through that gate and those walls and that gate protect them. And so they are safe and they are uh, secure and they're able to flourish as sheep. This is the idea that Jesus is uh, giving us when we have these metaphors. When I was in uh, the seminary, they, um, they had a, um, a shepherd come in. I mean, this is how prominent this idea of sheep and uh, this is a, a real live shepherd came in. She was from a farm somewhere. I guess they have sheep in, in Michigan. Who knew? Um, and so she came in and I found her uh, presentation both insulting and, uh, and exciting. And, and insulting because when she started to talk about sheep and she didn't give any any philosophy or theological implications she just talked about what it was like to be a modern day uh, shepherd and she started with how in some respects sheep are just unintelligent uh, they're obstinate obstinate they they are stubborn hilariously so and she had story after story of sheep getting you know their their heads stuck in fences and her having to go and try to like pull their heads out. And so the idea that again, Jesus would relate us to the humans, because in this metaphor, humans are, are the sheep, that uh, Jesus would relate uh, us to humans. He, there had to be a little bit of a tongue in Jesus' cheek, I think, as he was uh, relaying this metaphor. You're the, the sheep, stubborn at times. And so I, I remember, again, that, uh, that kind of a great time together listening to her. With that said, as I think about it, I mean, are sheep and humans, is this really a fair, is this a really a fair example, a fair metaphor? And so um, I did a little research, as of course you, you can today on the, on the internets. Um, sheep 101. It's a page. Of course it is. There's everything on the internet. So if you want to become a, a shepherd, a modern day shepherd, you can go online and look up Sheep 101 for future shepherds. So here's some information. So I was, you know, is this really, did, was Jesus, sheep and, 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 and humans, does this really relate? So here's Sheep 101. It says they're followers. Sheep have a strong instinct to follow the sheep in front of them. When one sheep decides to go somewhere, the rest of the flock usually follows, even if it is not a good decision. And I, so I thought to myself, does this really represent humanity? And then I thought of the line for the cronut. Do you remember the cronut? I mean, that's been a couple years ago. Do you remember? I, I'm sh people are still probably waiting for the cronut somewhere. How many of you have had a cronut? Raise your hand if you. How many of you stood in that line? Oh, good. <laughs> I, I love how it says they, f they flock together and follow the one ahead of them, uh, even if it's not a good decision. I don't know if the cronut was a good decision for you. They are delicious. They are de um, but the line for the cronuts, clearly Jesus was on to something when he was uh, relating humans and, and sheep. So I read on in Sheep 101, they, it says sheep love safety in numbers. They, sheep are gregarious, and they will usually stay together in a group while grazing. A sheep will uh, become highly agitated if it is separated from a group. And it's a sheep staying together with a bunch of other people uh, while grazing. And I thought of the, the time Danny and, and Christine, we went out a couple weeks ago, 
we were in the suburbs and we went to the cheesecake factory and we had to wait like two hours because everyone was greasing together. And uh, you know, when you're, you, when you're in the suburbs, you go to places like the Cheesecake Factory. So we cheesecake for two hours, and you're grazing together. So I'm starting to think, well, maybe, maybe Jesus is onto something. The third element of Sheep 101, they're social animals. Sheep are very social. Uh, animal behaviorists note that sheep require the presence of at least four or five other sheep, which, when grazing together, maintain a visual link with each other. So they need to see each other. And then I thought about... Uh, Facebook, the Facebook. We, we love some social interaction so much so that we've figured out how to, how to do it without not actually not looking at someone. We do it, we, we do it digitally. Did you know in, in, in the 9 a.m. service, um, my friend Eva, was, she updated me on some of the statistics regarding Facebook. First of all, like 1.8 billion people. That, that's, that's a quarter of the world is on Facebook. 1.1 check their Facebook every day. 1.1 billion uh, people are on Facebook. Another interesting statistic that Evo was sharing with me and that was released just this April is that they've, got the, the, they've identified that of those who are on Facebook, there's only 3.5 degrees of separation between everyone. So you remember the old statistic, the sociological statistic that everyone was separated by about six other people? On Facebook, it's 3.5. That's incredible, out of 1.8 billion people. Anyway, we're social animals, not that much different than sheep, apparently. Uh, this last one, sheep attracts are never straight. They wind and go all over the place. And I thought of my you know, occasional commute to the subway. Why can't people walk straightly in New York? Anyway, Jesus clearly knew what he was talking about when he related sheep and uh, humanity. So we've got the metaphor down. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the gate. Those who embrace a relationship with him and follow him are the sheep. Now, interesting, but for me, that's not the most challenging element of what Jesus is saying here. What is the most challenging uh, issue is that Jesus is clearly promoting his uh, role in relationship with humanity very, very clearly. He says that he is the gate, and that whoever enters through him will be saved, and that there are other ways to get in the pen, but th those ways are robbery and thievery. But following him will lead to a full and healthy life. It's just hard to get around. I mean, in, especially in a day of pluralism, uh, a day where everyone is allegedly supposed to be able to find their, their own route to satisfaction in life and lead a fulfilling life, this assertion that Jesus is making uh, that he is the only way is somewhat startling. It's not the uh, first time here in John 10 that he articulates it, and it's certainly not the last. In fact, just a couple of chapters later, he re re reiterates this very idea. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus gets even more specific. Here it says, Jesus answered after being in a dialogue with a group of people, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to, the, to God except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From, from now on, you do know him if you've seen me. It's a very, very, very bold and clear uh, articulation of who he is. He says he's the one. Through him, 
life. It's challenging in an age, and maybe even startling, an age of uh, pluralism. So maybe it's helpful to consider who he was talking to. Chapter 10, verse 1, very clearly states that he's talking to a group of people known as the Pharisees. Now, in first century uh, Judaism, you had three major sects, each who had kind of different philosophies and theologies about how the world was supposed to work and how religion was supposed to work, and they were all kind of at each other at some level and promoting their, their, their ideas. And so this group of uh, Pharisees was a prominent uh, group, and they uh, were made up of the middle class, the businessmen, they were, they were often upwardly mobile, and they had a very uh, specific formula for how to lead a fulfilling life. So Jesus is addressing this group of people and, 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 and their, their formula for how to lead a fulfilling life. So here's the f- formula. It goes something uh, like this. That firstly, a person needs to be about individual morality. Uh, the prime distinctive of the Pharisee was not just found in their zeal for law, but it was characterized by going beyond just the law that everyone else accepted, which was the written law. So all, all, if you were a first century a Jew, you, you, in, you had zeal for the law. But the Pharisees had a specific zeal, not just for the written law, but for the oral law, for the tradition. So these were the additional laws. So you have the written law, the Torah, the first five books of the Old, Old Testament, and the, and the Old Testament, that was written. Everybody agreed that this was important, but our, our, our Pharisee friends believed that that was not enough. That the, the oral traditions that had been passed down through the ages and had been added on, they, they talked about it as a hedge to protect the written law. You have to have other laws that inhibit you from even getting close to breaking the, the written law. And so they, they were adamant that the, the oral law also must be kept to minute detail. And so they were adamant that to, to live a, a good and fulfilling life, you had to be a good person. You had to, to work very hard to guard every single step that you made to, 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 to get your character to be the kind of person that you need to be. A detailed exposition of, of every aspect of human life. You know, I mean, you don't have to read very far in the New Testament to find Jesus at odds time and time again with this group of Pharisees where he's teaching and they come and say, you know, that's, that's not what the tradition says or, or that's not what the Torah says. And there's this tension between Jesus and these Pharisees. And it, beca- it was because their formula for leading a fulfilling life started with you getting your act together. You being a person of great uh, character, strict adherence to the moral code um, as articulated both in the Bible and the oral tradition. And so Jesus is addressing this. Now this formula led to a a second step and that was that 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 moral, that individual uh, um, moral adherence would lead to political power. That was the hope, that the Pharisees uh, would, would come into political power and be able to, to, to encourage others to adhere to their same vision 
of how the world should operate. So you have individual morality. We need to get our act together as people, but then you have the, the hope that that will lead to also political power, that as the Pharisees become uh, in power, they're able to dictate what people uh, should be doing in their, in their life. That the community being moral needs to, to be factored into the equation of what it means to have a full life. And then finally, the idea that, and as good business people, the Pharisees rooted again, and, and by the way, the commentators, they, when they go and look at the extra-biblical sources as to who these Pharisees were, again, very clearly, they were the, 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 the commercial leaders of the day. And so you have individual morality, everybody gets their act together, you get political power, and that leads to wealth, wealth, that, that, that people are in a good place that they can take care of them, them, themselves. And so this was the formula. This is the formula for success to lead a fulfilling life. And yet we find, and you can make a case that this formula is not too distant to the prominent philosophies and theologies that we wrestle with even to date in 2017. I mean, personal morality, political power, wealth. This is what leads to a, a, a full life. I mean, that, that sounds uh, disturbingly familiar. And yet Jesus is attacking this idea very, very straightforwardly. Going so far to call, call this philosophy like the thieves and the robbers. It's not how it works, according to Jesus. In fact, if you're reliant on you living up to the moral code and getting your act together and abiding by whatever strict rules that you've either set for yourself or your community have set, you're going to be endlessly dissatisfied because you're never going to live up to who you want to be or who the, the, the community wants you to be on your own. It's not going to happen. Jesus knows this. And so he's attacking this idea. This doesn't work. Power through politics doesn't lead to a fulfilling life. Not even wealth leads to a fulfilling life. Yes, you need some wealth to, to exist, to eat, and, and, and live. But if, if you think that that's what's going to do it to, to, to really have the kind of life that you want, you're mistaken. This is, this is the claim of Jesus. Jesus is attacking this most popular philosophy of his day. Being a good person, getting your act together leading to political power and to wealth, that is what it's going to do it for the people to be the, in the place that they want to be and live a, a fulfilling life. Jesus denies this, uh, this formula. I mean, with that in mind, we have to just think about what it is that Jesus was really teaching and what Christianity really is all about. And in one sense, it's just not that complex. Christianity is not that complex. I mean, is there a lot of teaching and theology that, that, that uh, teaches many things? Certainly. But if we boil things down to, the, to, the, to the, the bare necessity, we find that Christianity just isn't complex at all. Its main assertion goes something like this. Believe, believe in God's work through Jesus. 
as you believe, God starts doing some work internally in you. Now, how this happens is somewhat of a mystery. You know, we, our theoretical physicists or our, our, our biologists, we haven't figured out how this, this works. This is beyond how our, our understanding. But this is the assertion that, that, that you believe in God's work through Jesus and God starts to do some work inside of you. And you, you then, because of his work, you start to have behavior change. And that moral code that was so difficult to, 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 to adhere to on your own, some of those things become part of your, your character. But it's not something that you've done. It's God working in you. As your life progresses, you, you develop hope that if God can to remove these things that you've been trying to work on in your life all these years, if God can do that, maybe he can do other things in your experience. And then that the, the God who resurrected Jesus will also be able to do that for you, to resurrect a you. Just like he, he made earthly changes in your life, he can transform your life for the world uh, to come. Where there's no more sickness or dying or mourning or pain. And so Jesus is directly attacking this philosophy of the Pharisees, a philosophy that is not that far from what many believe today. Those of us here, I mean, the idea that we should get our act together, that all we need to do, the only thing that we need to do to, to experience a better life is just get that little thing that's been hanging in our life that we'd love to get over. And I would, I would guess that each of you have your own personal thing or things that even the past or that you're dealing with it right now, and you're just like, boy, if I could just break through, then everything is going to be great and my life is going to be fulfilled. You all know what I'm talking about here? You got those things that you're like, if only that thing, I could overcome that, then my life is going to be so much better. Jesus is like, that is not how it works. You'll work your whole life trying to get yourself together and it's not gonna. It's not gonna happen. There are limitations that we have, and this is this is a, 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 as challenging a message today as it was back then. Jesus is basically saying you're not gonna do it. In fact, that that philosophy is like thieves and robbers trying to get in and mess with a sheep. It doesn't work, and in fact, it ends up hurting in the end. You're not gonna be able to do what you need to do on your own. I am the gate, Jesus says. I am the gate. Paul, who came after Jesus, is one, of, is one of Christianity's most famous teachers, talks about this issue very, very clearly in the book of Romans uh, chapter 10. It's found in Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 5. And he says this, Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. Moses writes about uh, how to be righteous through the law, through keeping the law. I mean, he wrote those first five books guided by God. And then he goes on, the person who does these things, who follows the, the, the law without missing a step, they're to live by them. They're to, to, to be guided by them. Certainly nothing wrong with, with law and having a moral code. But he continues on in verse 9. 
and this is the transformational teaching that came from Jesus, Paul says, if you want to live that way, where you're dictated by the law, <laughs> I mean, go for it. And I'm adding now, but you're gonna, it's, it's going to be a, a tough walk, and in the end, you're never going to be fully satisfied. So then he introduces the, the idea that Jesus taught in verse 9. He says, if you, though, if you, though, declare by your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a very, very simple formula. Again, throughout human history, humans have been figuring out all kinds of formulas to live a fulfilling life, to feel like they're, they're something, and to, to be at peace with themselves. We've figured out all kinds of methods. But Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Will never be put to shame. I would bet those moments where you've really, really believed in yourself, that you're going to be able to get it done today. You're going to get up this morning and you're going to conquer the world and all those things that have been holding you back. You got it. Today is the day. Maybe you've had some good days in there, but I would bet that more often than not, when you put your, your faith solely in yourself, by the end of the day, you felt ashamed that you didn't accomplish everything that you wanted to uh, accomplish. You didn't become the better person like you wanted, wanted to. Not that good things didn't happen, but we have shortcomings, and as we all say, we're human. We're human. We're broken. The promise of Jesus, the words of Paul, is that anyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference. Everybody is on the same page. Everyone has the same Lord. He's the Lord of all and richly blesses every single person who calls on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, we look for complex answers or to why and how we can become a better person, how we can get our act together, how we can feel, feel like we have a fulfilled and life, how we, feel like, how we can live in safety and security that we're okay. And Jesus comes and offers us a way that's almost so simple that it's hard for us to grasp a hold of. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is not talking, by the way, about some off in the future distant event that happens, that Jesus is going to come and save you. This is talking about saved now, that God is able to start working in your life now and transform and change. And the irony here is, That those character deficits, that, that, that the Pharisees were trying to work out by creating extensive systems of, of, of law and teaching, those character deficits can melt away as God does in you what only he can do. So you'll spend your whole life trying to get yourself together 
And it never happens, but as God comes in and starts doing his thing, he'll do what you couldn't do. This is the good news of the story of Jesus, a God who is capable of doing what you can't. Not just in the world, but in you and in me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, God doing his work in us. Because according to him, he is the only way. Only he can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Let's pray. God, we live in a world telling us we got to get it together. And many of us have been trying very hard to do that very thing. And yet we seem to always get in the way of ourselves. And today I take a comfort in the words of Jesus. I take comfort in knowing that uh, you can work in me and each person here and help us to become the individual and help us to become the community that we want to be and that we can experience the fullness of life as you meant it for us. Help us now, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.